0: Amen. It's the word of God. I mean, and it's the all time best selling book. All time. It should be because it's the only book in the world that's not from the world. It's, it's from heaven. All scripture is God breathed, right? So tonight, um, I'm going to continue what I began last week, understanding the Bible or how to, how to understand the Bible. I think truth be known. A lot of people. If, if I could get you alone, you were honest with me or with each other It's like you know, sometimes that Bible confuses me, uh, especially I love Leviticus and I, and I love, uh, you know, I love Deuteronomy and I, you know, I just love, but Leviticus in particular, I just love it. I can't get enough of Leviticus, right? Um, but we need to see that the Bible is a theme, It carries a a main theme from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, It is connected. All the dots connect. It is a continuum. Uh, It is not fragmented in any way, shape, or form, but a main theme marches through the whole book. And We saw last time that that theme was the coming of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus, the departure of Jesus, and in revelation, the return again of Jesus. So let's pray together tonight. And then we're going to get into it. Father, we just thank you now for helping us to understand this book that you have given to us. Lord, help us to not be biblically illiterate, but to be literate. So that we can not only answer others, but we can we can answer the devil when he comes and tempts and attacks. We will know the word of God. We will know the word of God. As you knew it, Lord. And so, Lord... Open it to us tonight, and thank you for giving us wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Thank you for giving us an understanding, heart, eyes to see, ears to hear. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. The great teacher of the church, open up to us your book in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him, good to see you tonight. You look better than last week. Amen. Now, I'm trying to, to go um, fairly slowly because I, I really want us to get this. I want us to understand the Bible. Uh, um, now, what I'm sharing with you in these, in these weeks, that, since last week, and we're going to continue until I'm done. I don't know when I'm going to be done, but we're going to go until I'm done. But what I'm sharing with you is what I wish I had understood 30 years ago. Now, I was always in the Word, but I, I didn't really get the overall warp and woof of the Word um, until later. And even studying for this, I, I'm, I'm learning more. You know, you never arrive. Amen? You never arrive. So I'm going slow. I'm going to recap a little bit from last week and uh, just try to take us at a steady pace where we get this, and I really believe we're going to get it. Amen? Amen? Now, let's recap. Last time we saw that God is a God of covenant. That means God is a God of promise. And how many of you can say, I know his promises are trustworthy? Amen? Amen. Now, when you look at the Bible, you see that God gave seven covenants. He made seven covenants with mankind. Let's look at them again. Here they are. The first one, the Adamic covenant. That was the main one. Because the rest of the Bible springs from that one. The Noahic covenant was the next one. The third covenant we're looking at tonight, the Abrahamic covenant. Followed by the Mosaic covenant and the Palestinian covenant. That'll be next week. And then the Davidic covenant. And finally, the best one of all, the new covenant where we live. How many of you are so glad we're in the new covenant? Amen. Now... In light of the fact that God's a God of covenant, it's important that we understand there's three kinds of covenants that God makes. Conditional, unconditional, and general. Now, let me tell you again what those mean. A conditional covenant is based on certain obligations and prerequisites. And here, basically, here's what it means. God says, if you do this, I'll do that. If you don't do this, I won't do that. It's conditional. Conditional. It's conditional. If the requirements are not fulfilled, then the covenant is null and void. That's a conditional covenant. I don't like those covenants because that means a lot of it is up to me. And I don't like things being up to me because I fail too much. What about you? Amen. We all, James said, we all stumble in many ways. But that's a conditional covenant. And by the way, as we go through these covenants, I'm going to tell you what kind they are. Now, the unconditional covenant is the covenant made with no strings attached and it will be kept regardless of one's fidelity or infidelity to the covenant. In other words, God says, I'm going to do something and no man or devil is going to stop me. Amen. It doesn't matter what men do. If, if men mess up continuously, I'm still going to do it. That's, that's a, an unconditional covenant. I love those. Amen. Amen. Because God says, I'm going to do it. In other words, let's look at one. The the return of Jesus Christ is an unconditional covenant. I mean, Jesus is coming back no matter what people say or do. All right? Now, a general covenant, the third kind, is not specific to one people group. And it can involve a wide range of people. Let's take the new covenant. The new covenant, ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ, is a general covenant. Made first to Israel, but then to the whole world. For God so loved who? The whole world. That's a general covenant. All right? So the new covenant we live in is a general covenant. It's also very important to understand. This is where a lot of teaching goes, goes wrong in our day. Some of God's promises are to all people, but some of God's promises in the Bible are made only for Israel. And they aren't meant to be applied to you. I mean, you can't name and claim something that wasn't made to you. All right? All, but, but, however, all of God's promises are based on who He is and what His plan is for the world. All right? Now, last time we looked at the first two covenants God made with mankind the Adamic covenant and the Noahic covenant. We saw that the, the Adamic covenant, this is very important. The Adamic covenant found in Genesis 3.15. Everybody say Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Right? Genesis 3.15, easy to remember. John 3.16, Genesis 3.15. Because in Genesis 3.15, God makes a covenant that the rest of the Bible springs from. The rest of the entire Bible. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When God speaks to the devil and says this, first he judged Adam for the fall. Then he judged Eve for the fall. Then he turns to the devil. What he says to the devil is huge. I will put enmity, that means hostility, between you and the woman. And between your seed and her what, everybody? And notice seed is capital S. He shall bruise your head. That is, the seed shall bruise the devil's head. The capital S, seed. And you will bruise his heel. Isn't that amazing? Because on the cross, when Jesus had that spike run through his heel, this was fulfilled. You, devil, will bruise his heel. Devil orchestrated the crucifixion. And when the devil orchestrated the crucifixion, he committed suicide. All right. But now, you will bruise his heel. But the the idea that is behind the bruising of the head is that it's a death blow. You want to kill somebody, you hit them over the head. You don't hit their foot. Okay. So this is a death blow. So this is a prophecy. It's a prophecy. It's also called the gospel in the garden. I love that. The gospel in the garden. John 3.16, Genesis 3.15. It's the gospel in the garden. Because not only is it the first Bible covenant, but it's the first Bible prophecy. First prophecy is Genesis 3.15. And it predicts the coming of Messiah Jesus. He is the capital S seed. He is the seed. So Genesis 3.15 is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Always remember that. Always remember that, because as we saw last time, out of fr- fr- from that prophecy, from that covenant, Eve or devil and and Adam and Eve heard this, because we know they passed this down to their children. The understanding of this, they're listening. But he says to the devil, he says, he says, I'm going to send somebody that's going to be your undoing. He's going to be supernatural, capital S. He's going to be, he's going to, he's not going to be a typical human being. And this is a prophecy of the coming Messiah, Jesus. And from that, from that Genesis 315 prophecy, the rest of the Bible unfolds and reveals the unfolding of that prophecy. The rest of the Bible springs from that Prophecy. And I'm going to show that to you. Showed it to you last week. We're going to look at it again tonight. Now, we also saw that the devil set out to destroy God's plan of redemption through the corruption of the entire human race in the days of Noah. But the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Remember that? Now, God revealed himself to Noah and said, Noah, I'm going to wipe out the whole human race and every living thing except marine life. And Noah... I want you to build a boat, and while you're building this ark, I want you to preach to this generation and tell them judgment is coming. So with one hand he built, and with another hand he preached. He declared to them judgment was coming, and he built that ark. And it, he took 120 years to do it. Now, that's a building project. That's a building project. So he's telling his generation judgment's coming, a flood is coming, God is going to wipe out the human race. He had one word, repent. And you know, it amazes me that after 120 years, he didn't have one convert. That's how hard-hearted and wicked these people were. Not one solitary convert. That would make me quit after about 20 or 30 years. At least I'd be tempted. But doesn't he model for us that no matter what the results are, you keep going. Amen. No matter what, it's not about results; it's about obedience. Amen. So, without one convert, he kept on preaching, he kept on building, and one day God said, "Get into the ark." You know, there's a lot of things. If you were to say to me, Jeff, well, if you were given three choices of to go back in the Old Testament and personally witness something you know about from the Bible, what would you pick? One of them would be all those animals going into the ark, under the direction of God. He called them, and they just started showing up. Here comes two elephants. here comes two hippos. Here comes two snakes. Here comes two possums. Here comes two lions, tigers, and bears. Here comes the birds. They just started coming by the supernatural drawing power of God. Noah wasn't calling them. They just came. Now, if he can call dumb animals, he can call people. Amen? And so they all went in. I would have loved to have witnessed that. I just would have loved to have seen it. That was amazing. By perseverance, even the snail reached the ark. Right? Right? (laughs) Now, finally, after 120 years, the great flood struck. And this was cataclysmic, unbelievable. All of mankind perished, but Noah and his wife, his three sons, and their wives. So Satan's attempt to thwart God's plan of redemption, as revealed in Genesis 3.15, failed because through Noah, God had a remnant to carry on the human race. God always has a remnant. You here tonight are God's remnant in this world. And as he delivered them from the judgment by getting them in the ark, he's going to deliver you by the ark of the new covenant, Jesus Christ. When the trumpet blows and you are taken out of this world, it's going to be the same thing before judgment falls. Now, after the flood and they disembarked from the ark, God made a second covenant. It's called the Noahic covenant. And here's what it said. Uh, Yes, says God, I'm confirming my covenant with you. Never again will flood waters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It's the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. Now, I told you last week, and I'll repeat it, but... Until now, until this time, there had never been a rainbow in the sky because there was never rain from the sky until the day of Noah and Noah's ark. Because it it says in Genesis, a mist came up from the ground and watered all the vegetation. So there was a a really gigantic atmospheric change after the time of Noah. So now there's a rainbow. Look up there. There's colors up there in the sky. Didn't used to be there And God said, every time you see that rainbow, you can know that my promise is true, that I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. But he he did not say, I won't do it with fire. He just said, I won't do it with water. We know he's going to do it with fire again because the Bible says so. But that's another message in another night. Now, follow me carefully because here's the silver thread of God's plan of salvation being woven through the fabric of human history, Noah and his three son, sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, repopulated the earth. Have you ever thought about that? There was no one left but Ham, Shem, and Japheth and their wives and Noah and his wife. That's it. That is it. I mean, that's that's having some space. You talk about space. That's space. And they repopulate the entire planet. And I showed you last time that God chose, of the three boys, he chose Shem's lineage to be the righteous lineage through which Jesus would come. If you read the genealogy in Luke three twenty-three to 28, it tracks Jesus right back to Shem and keeps reaching back all the way to Adam, who the Bible calls the son of God. Luke also tracks Jesus' lineage back to somebody who came much later than Shem, and that's Abraham, the father of our faith, and that's who I'm going to be looking at tonight. Now, just so you'll know, from Adam to Abraham, about 1,948 years passed. That's a lot of years, all right? And just for the record, from Adam and the appearance of Jesus. So in Genesis 3.15, you got the covenant. I'm going to send the seed to destroy the serpent. But now it took 4,000 years from Adam to Jesus for God to bring his son onto the planet. That's a whole lot of years. Just think about it. If we just went back 2,000 years, we're in first century where Jesus was. Just about. If you went back 4,000 That's a long, long, long. See, these numbers are mind benders. But but notice how patiently God works. For 4,000 years, he's weaving the plan of salvation into the history of the human race in myriad ways, all kinds of different ways. But he's slowly, methodically, determinedly marching through time, setting things up. For the arrival of Jesus. And Paul says in Galatians. When the fullness of time came. God sent forth his son. I don't know about you. But 4,000 years wouldn't have been my timing. But it was God's timing. So the introduction of Abraham. Is where God takes the next major step. To work out his plan of salvation. The story of Abraham begins in Genesis 12 verse 1. Let's look at it. Now the Lord said to Abram. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, stop right there. This is the call of Abraham when his name was still Abram. We don't know how God spoke to him, because let's remember, there was no Bible. We didn't have a Bible until Moses came and wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books. Until then, there was no Bible. There was no Bible. Sodom had no Bible. Abraham had no Bible. I can't imagine having no Bible. It makes me love my Bible even more. He didn't have a prophet to speak to him, Abraham. He didn't even have a prophet. There was no prophet. With no other form of divine communication, somehow God spoke to Abram. Talked to him, spoke to him, nudged him. Communicated to him. We don't know how, but he got to him. Abraham was the first Hebrew. We could say he was the first Jew. God providentially chose to weave Abraham and his family into the scarlet thread of our redemption. It was a totally sovereign choice. It was through Abraham's descendants, everybody, that the Jewish nation would arise. And one of his descendants would be the capital S seed, the savior of the world, not only for the Jews, but for the whole world. So when God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, it was God taking the next step to work out into history, Genesis 3.15. Now, when God called Abram, he was living in the city of Ur. Everybody say, Ur. How would you like to live in Ur? Where do you live? Ur. No, didn't you understand my question? Where do you live? Er. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Try sending that on an envelope. Er. Zip code 00000. Er. I'm from Er. Okay. Okay. I think God did Abraham a favor getting him out of Ur. Now, when God called Abram, he was living in the city of Ur, and it was sometime around 2000 B.C. So again, if we went back to the century Jesus lived in, that's 2,000 years. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus showed up. That's a long time. Now, Ur was located in the region of what is now modern-day Iraq. Isn't that significant? So much spiritual warfare over there. Joshua 24.2 tells us that Abraham and his father worshiped idols. Abraham, when he was Abram, was an idolater. He was an idolater. And he worshiped idols. We're told in, by Joshua these words. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So Abram's whole family was idolaters. The whole family was deceived. The whole family was in the dark spiritually. And the whole city. Because the main idol of worship in Ur was Nana, the moon god. The moon was worshipped. Can you imagine worshipping the moon? As the power, it was worshipped as the power that controlled the heavens and the life cycle on earth, they made prayers and offerings, literally offered to the moon, prayers and offerings of some kind or another so that they could get the moon's blessing. Now, that's darkness, everybody. That's darkness. What are you doing? I'm going out there to bow down to the moon. I've got a couple of sacrifices here. I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm I'm going to do what I know to do to, to get the moon's blessing. Shine on me, moon. You know, order my steps, moon, bless bless my life, moon, because that's all they knew. So I want you to understand tonight that Abraham wasn't just called out of Ur to go to the promised land. He was called out of darkness into light. He was called out of idolatry into the worship of the true God just like us. What did Paul say? He called you out of darkness into his what? Marvelous what? Light. And he also said in another place, we were delivered from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Abraham is a type and a shadow and a picture of the church that was to come where we would be literally called out of darkness like he was, called out of worshiping false gods, false idols, false things to worship and follow the true and the living God. And so, Abraham was the recipient of an amazing revelation. And I want you to notice it was divine selection. This is sovereignty. It's providence. He had this whole city to choose from. God did. But he zeroed in on this man, Abram. And he said, you, I want you. I want you to come out. He communicated to him. It was sovereign selection. If Abram had told his compadres there in Ur, hey, some other deity is talking to me. They would have taken him to a building in Ur to the top floor. Because don't you know, Abram, that the moon is God? But Abram said, no, no, that's not what I'm sensing or I'm re- realizing. That's not the revelation coming to me. It says, by faith, this is, this is uh, by faith, Abraham, this is what Hebrews says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, now watch this everybody, not knowing where he was going, he started walking not knowing where he was going. How would you like to start walking not knowing where where you're going? I don't know. Well, why are you going? I don't know. God told me to start walking. Well, where are you headed for? I don't know. (laughs) Really? You don't even know where you're going? No, I don't even know where I'm going. He just started walking in the general direction God showed him. It was a faith walk. See, if if you know the end from the beginning, why do you need faith? You need faith when you don't know the end. And you must trust God to get you to the end. That the one who got you started is going to get you to the end. The one that told you to get into the boat is going to take you to the other side. That you're going to arrive and and, and there may be a while there where you don't know how it's all going to pan out. If you know how it's all going to pan out, why do you need hope and why do you need faith? We need faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So God says, I'm going to show you enough for the next step. And it stops there. Well, Lord, where am I going? I'm not going to tell you. Just keep walking. Amen. And when you get there, I'll show you that you're there. So here's this man called out of darkness into light, called out of our daughter. He said goodbye to the whole city of his birth, every, the place he grew up. He knew everybody. All his friends were there. His family was there. His, his, his in-laws were there. All the familiar surroundings he'd grown up in, all of it was there. And Abram, by faith, based on a word that came to him somehow, he started walking. And here we've got the word, we've got the Holy Spirit, we, you know there's so, we have so much more. This man, if I can just say it, is amazing. The faith of this man is amazing. He didn't know where he was going, but he moved forward in faith, trusting God's word, and he was willing to renounce the idolatry he'd known his whole life. Wow. Just let that sink in. Now, that's verse 1, the call of Abraham. The next two verses, we are given the covenant, the third Bible covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. Here it is, Genesis 12, 2, and 3. I will make you, says says God to him, leave this place, and I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. That's why we give to Israel here. We send something to Israel every month. Whether or not they walk with God, I don't care. I'm pro-Israel because Israel... Is, I mean, because of what my my Bible tells me about Israel. Okay. He says, I'm going to bless those that bless you. And I'm going to curse him. I don't want to be cursed. So, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, the Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. Here's one of those unconditional covenants. No strings attached. God will raise up a nation through which Messiah will come. And no man or devil will stop it. It's unconditional. And notice how the last part of verse 3 contains the continuation of Genesis 3.15. And God's covenant promise to send the bruiser of Satan's head. In you, he says to Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, how will all the families of the earth be blessed through Abraham? By Messiah Jesus. The capital S seed that comes through the genealogy, through the lineage of Abraham. The light of the world, Jesus has blessed the the entire world over and over again. There's not a nation on earth that is not enjoying somebody, the bunch of people in it are not enjoying the fruits and the blessings of salvation through Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on to say that Abraham, this is so important, he believed in the Lord. And what happened when he believed in the Lord, this incredible promise God made to him? God accounted it to him for righteousness. What made God call him righteous? His faith, it just says he believed. He believed. It didn't say he did anything. It says he believed. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. That is, he God put Righteousness in Abraham's spiritual bank account. After this incredible blessing, God goes on to tell Abraham that circumcision would be the seal and reminder of the covenant. And so all of Abraham's male descendants would be circumcised. Why? To remind them that God would someday fulfill all the promises that he made to Abraham. But here's what I want us to catch tonight. It's in Genesis 15 that Abraham is declared righteous by faith, but it's in chapter 17 where circumcision is introduced as the seal of the Abrahamic covenant. So Abraham believed and was declared righteous before he was circumcised. Faith came before works. He was declared righteous before there was any works. He was declared righteous by his faith. Now, why does that matter? Why is he called the father of our faith? Because as it was for Abraham, it is for us. We are declared righteous not by things we do, but by the faith we place in God's son. The minute we put faith in him, we are declared righteous just like God declared Abraham righteous the minute he believed God. <clears throat> okay, are you with me now? We got to get this this uh, Protestant work ethic out of our heads for a minute. That there's nothing in our salva- or salvation that is earned or merited or deserved. Paul, listen, if Paul had a, a mantra, this was it. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. <clears throat> he says, Paul writes in Romans 4.11, Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous. Even before, before, before he was circumcised. Two chapters before. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised they are counted as righteous because, why, everybody, read the last three words, because of their faith. This is why Abraham, again, is called the father of our faith. He was declared righteous by faith, not by works, and in exactly the same way, every born-again child of God is declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, not by any of their own works. And Paul writes about that over and over again. Why are you going to be led into heaven? Why will you be let into heaven? There are people, I, I was in a store a while back, and I was talking to this little old lady. I got to talking to this little old lady who said something to me, and I started talking back with her. And I realized she was Jewish. And so I asked her. I said, We're, we, I brought up Jesus. And, boy, she just went sour on me. Just poof, I could just see this thing go over her face. Paul called it the veil the veil of blindness. And she just went sour on me. I could see the, her, the, the, the pleasant expression went away. And, I, and she said, oh, yeah, I, I don't believe that. And I said, do you even know what Jesus said? She said, well, like what? And I, thank, thank you. Telling a preacher, like what? Asking me, like what? It's like asking me if I would like a, a Snickers bar, right? <clears throat> and so I said, well, like Whoever believes on me will not perish but have everlasting life. And he that has the son has life. But he that has not the son does not have life. But the wrath of God abides on him. And she said, I didn't know he said that. I'm I'm amazed at what people don't know. They don't know. They don't know. And, and, And Christians often don't understand. There's not one scintilla. There's not one thing we can do. Why are we going to get into heaven? It'll point back to the very time. I believe God will play, play it back to us when we heard the gospel and said, Jesus, come into my heart. Just like Abraham was declared righteous when he believed God, at that moment in time, we are declared righteous. And at that moment in time, the greatest miracle available to mankind takes place. The Holy Spirit comes into our heart. And we are born from above, transformed by the power of God. There is no greater miracle. And, and, but, but it had nothing to do with our works. It, 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 it happened because we trusted his works, what he did. Jesus paid it all. Not Jesus paid it some and you got to pay the rest, but Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe, right? So, so Abraham believed God. Well, what did... What did he believe? He believed that even in his old age, God was going to give him a child. That's what he believed. God was going to give him a child. So you know the rest of the story. When he's 100 and Sarah is 90, she calls from the tent and says, Honey, come here. i got to tell you some big news. And he goes in and she says, Sweetie, I'm pregnant. You talk about a hallelujah chorus in the Old Testament. They've been believing God for 25 years. He says, say that again. She said, I'm pregnant. She's 90. All you women say hallelujah. She's 90. She's 90. He's a hundred. All you men say hallelujah. He's a hundred. Now, when. When Isaac was born, don't you know that there was joy in that tent when Isaac was born? That's why his name means laughter. And sometimes God can bless you so good. All you can do is laugh. I would love a laughter blessing. Right? I mean, a million-dollar gift in the mail to this church, I'd be laughing all week long. I'd walk into that pulpit laughing. I'd laugh the whole service. Right? Right? Hey, it's happened to other pastors. I'm believing God it could happen here. Amen. 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 While I'm at it, forget one, two million. B- bring it, Jesus, because I would laugh for a year. You'd have to, do, you'd have to bring in guest speakers because I'm off somewhere laughing. <laughs> See, I'm starting right now. I'm laughing before it arrives. Now, Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There you go. Now, when Isaac was finally born, it was a miraculous birth. It was a type and shadow and foreshadowing of the real miracle birth, Jesus Christ. Abraham was 100, Sarah 90. They were both well beyond their reproductive years. Genesis 18, 11 says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so her conceiving a child was totally an act of God, foreshadowing of the Immaculate Conception. It wasn't quite an Immaculate Conception. This wasn't a God-man, but it's a type. But God had already said to Abraham in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Now, remember that capital S seed? So when you see in Isaac, your seed shall be called, that seed is talking about the capital S seed. We're following the capital S seed down through history as God sets the stage for the capital S seed to be born. Now, Isaac was the promised seed, the seed through which Messiah Jesus would come. So Isaac's miraculous birth once again pointed to the ultimate miraculous birth of Messiah Jesus, born of a virgin. The Bible says that as Abraham grew stronger in faith, God one day told him to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering to prove his faith. We can't even imagine what that did to him. He's got this boy he waited for for 25 years. Don't you know he was smack happy in love with this boy, his his only son. Do you see the parallels? his only son, father, Abraham, give up your only son. The parallels. It's a type take him. And I want you to take him to the top of Mount Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice him there. You know how long it took them to get there? Three days and nights. It took three days and nights of traveling. The pictures are everywhere. Isaac was carrying the wood for his sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross. They went up a mountain. Jesus went up Golgotha's hill. It was his father that was going to take his life. It was God the father that orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ so that we could be redeemed. Oh, It was Abraham's only son, God's only son. Miraculous birth, miraculous birth. Uh, The parallels are everywhere. It just gives you holy ghost bumps all up and down. How real the word of God is. But I want you to see. The whole Bible points to the coming of Jesus everywhere in types and shadows and pictures, everywhere. Um, So, as Abraham's faith grew stronger, and God said to him, I want you to offer your son for three days and nights, he has to go through this, whatever he went through on the way to this mountain. Can you imagine? God, are you sure? Is this really you talking about checking your discernment? Are you sure? Because this is my boy. And you're asking me to give him up? Really? And that mountain got closer. It was the longest trip of his life. Forget leaving Ur of the Chaldees and going to the promised land. That wasn't his longest journey. Amen. His longest journey was those three days and nights. Yes. He gets up to the mount, top of Mount Moriah, lays him on the altar, grabs a knife. And at the very last second, talk about 11.59.59, 59, an angel says, Stop! Don't take the boy's life. And right then he heard something coming from a bush over yonder, and it was a ram. And God said, There's your sacrifice. And then God said, Now I know that you believe me. Now, this is when Abraham's faith was at peak strength. Listen to what I'm about to read to you. How did he get through it? Here's how he got through it. The Bible says Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. Because he assumed, he believed, all right, here's what's going to happen. Because I know this is my son of promise. And I know from him is going to come the bruiser of Satan's Head. I know that he's part of the plan of salvation. And so even if he dies, my God is going to raise him from the dead. My God's going to raise him from the dead. Because when he left to go up the mountain, he left his servants at the bottom and he said, he didn't say, I'll be right back. He said, We will be. We will be right back. We'll be back. So in his mind, well, if he dies, God's going to raise him up. Jesus is all over that. Amen. Wow. You talk, about, you talk about major, mega, industrial strength faith. Amen. So it does provide a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus Christ offered up to the heavenly father for the sins of mankind. Now Abraham went on to grow so close to the Lord that the Bible calls him a friend of God. Prophet Isaiah writes, but you Israel are my servant Jacob whom I have chosen the descendants of Abraham my friend now as God's redemptive plan continues to unfold let's track it we're following footprints here and they began with Genesis 3:15 as God's redemption plan continues to unfold the chosen seed Isaac marries Rebecca and has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, you know the story. In cahoots with Rebekah, who loved Jacob more than Esau, the two, mother and son, hatch a plan to deceive Isaac, and they cause him to bless Jacob with the blessing of the firstborn, which was Esau's by birth. They lied to Isaac. Now, Now, don't take this wrong. Because I'm not saying lying is right. But I want you to see how God works through the evil of people. He works through the evil of people. Now, I've got to tell you, there's one thing I don't understand here. I've never understood it. It says Esau was hairy and Jacob was smooth-skinned. So Rebecca says to Jacob, who said to Rebecca, well, when Dad goes to bless me, he's going to feel my skin that it's smooth. She said, go put on an animal skin. And he'll think it's Esau. All I got to say to that is, that boy was hairy. That was really, really. I mean, because Esau went, well, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. That's what Isaac said. Let's just say he would not have been popular on the beach. All right, I'm leaving that alone. I know, I'm just, it's levity. We're, We're having fun, right? But, but seriously, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's my son, Esau, and it's an animal skin. Wow. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Now, when the plan succeeds and Isaac blesses Jacob, Esau hears about it. Esau, you didn't want to mess with him. He was a hunter. He was bad. He was a fighter. He was strong. And Jacob was told by Rebecca, you better get out of here. Flee. Go to my brother Laban's place in Haran. Go there and hang around long enough for Esau to get over it. No one knew he would be there a couple of decades. Okay? So he flees. While he's there, Jacob is himself deceived into marrying the wrong woman. Everybody say it with me, if you deceive, you will get deceived because you reap what you sow. See, isn't it interesting that it was identity that was the source of the deception? Uh, they fooled Isaac into believing he was somebody he wasn't. And, and then Laban, Rebekah's brother, deceives Jacob into believing that he's marrying somebody it wasn't who he thought. It was false identity. He deceived with false identity. He got deceived by false identity. Ooh man. What goes around comes around. Now, um, so, and that's another thing I don't understand. It says the next morning, behold, it was Leah. I don't understand that. Because I've been in love with this girl, Rachel. I have worked for seven years to marry Rachel. That's what happened. Seven years, and it says it was like nothing to him. He worked for seven years to marry Rachel and didn't know that it wasn't Rachel till the next morning when the sun was shining. I would have at least said, Rachel, uh, it, it was worth the wait, but it, he didn't pick up her voice. I don't understand that, the, the, all of this. I don't understand it. <laughs> I just know that it's there. All right? I mean, if I'm marrying somebody, I'm going to at least hear her voice. Hey, Rachel, been a long wait. But there was nothing. And next morning, it's Leah. And he goes out and he says to Laban, what have you done to me? This is not the woman I work for. He said, oh, didn't I tell you that blah, blah, blah. And he had to work another seven years to get Rachel. Okay, but here's the deal. God is working Genesis 3.15 through it all. Because Jacob, now he's got Leah and he's got Rachel, and their are two maidservants. And from those four women, he sires the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. So what is happening now? Through the manipulations and evil of men, God is trumping all of it. He is checkmating all of it. He's working. He's not saying I bless evil. He says, I'm going to use, I'm going to work out my plan no matter what you do because this is an unconditional covenant. Amen. So he works through it. Isn't this powerful? He works through it. And so now you've got the 12 heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. So now you've got everything set for a nation yeah. to be born. Now I'm going to close with this. After God assures Abram, before he is called Abraham, which means father of many or father of many nations, before or, or, or after he reassures him again that he's going to indeed have a child, I'm jumping back in time a little bit now, back to before Isaac was born. He told Abram something that was very, very um, chilling and, and shadowy and, and. um sort of like ominous Abram has a dream and in the dream God speaks to him and says no certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where was it everybody Egypt and will serve them and they will afflict them how long 400 years Now, this is before Isaac was born. God knows the end from the beginning. Hello. This is before Isaac was even born. We're talking about the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they will be afflicted 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Did he judge Egypt? Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now, this is an amazing prophecy. Amazing that we know in hindsight was fulfilled to the letter. The 12 sons of Jacob were sovereignly taken by God to Egypt, Joseph leading the way. They get there, and they begin to multiply. A a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph or any of them is put in power. And when he's put in power, he looks out and he sees all these Israelites just, just multiplying, just growing strong, outnumbering the Egyptians. So he says, we're in trouble, so I'm going to put him in hard bondage. I'm going to put him in slavery. And he begins to enslave them. They start making bricks. You know the story. They start crying out to God. And in the meantime, there's a man, a fugitive from justice, living in the wilderness by the name of Moses, who was rescued from a river as a baby. And he killed an Egyptian and fled. He is a fugitive. He, he doesn't think he'll ever be back to Egypt, but he's walking along, herding the sheep, thinking, well, this is my life now. I'm just going to be a shepherd and die. And there is a bush that is on fire but not consumed, which has always, to me, been a type of when God sets a heart on fire, he speaks to us out of hearts on fire with the Holy Spirit and zeal. But here's this bush, and out of the bush comes a voice, Moses, Moses. Genesis 3.15 is marching. On Now, Moses, Moses says, what is this? I got to turn around and see what this is because this bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. It takes off his sandals, walks up. I'm calling you to go to Egypt and deliver my people fulfillment of the dream God gave Abraham. Four hundred years years earlier we serve a mighty god 400 years earlier and now he's you know here's here's the next step in the plan because Moses said I can't talk you don't understand I don't don't, don't talk, talk talk good and God said don't worry about your talking my power is with you he insisted he said okay I'll give you Aaron he can talk good now get after it And he went down delivered to Egypt, and and they were delivered with great possessions. They were delivered after 400 years of slavery, and God judged the nation of Egypt totally. So once Moses is introduced into the story, we're coming up on the Mosaic Covenant, and that's next week. All right? Amen. Let's stand together, can we? Isn't God an amazing God? Isn't God an amazing God? Come on, everybody. Isn't the Bible an amazing book? Amen. Well, that's good stuff. And so if, if all of this worked out according to God's plan, you think he's going to get you to heaven like he promised? you think Jesus is going to split the eastern sky one day just like he promised? Amen. And you think we're going up? We're defying gravity? We're going to be pulled up by the power of God? Come on, do you believe that? Come on, yeah!